Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, and we're going to look at verse 7, we'll begin reading there. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 7, when you got it, say so. The writer says, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Lord, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have had to worship you, dear God, and to be in your presence. And right now, Holy Spirit, we just surrender our hearts to you, and we ask you to speak to us in these next few moments, Lord God. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to your church. We ask you all of these things in Jesus' good name, someone said. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Really quickly, before we get into the scriptures, I just uh, want to make one announcement. I know Pastor Aldo will um, reiterate this at the end. But I just want to encourage everyone, this week that is coming up is Thanksgiving. How many of y'all are thankful? Amen. Amen. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But on Tuesday night, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving every year, there is a community Thanksgiving service where all of the churches get together and we just come together to celebrate Jesus. It's something that doesn't happen often. Obviously, you know that Sunday is like the most segregated day for the church. We all go to different buildings and we worship the same Jesus. And so... Not often are we able to all come together in one place, and so obviously this place is not that big, so we're, we're hoping for standing room, amen? And so we've invited all of the other churches, and we have a few churches that have already um, said that they're going to participate, and so I want to encourage you to come out. On Wednesday night, what that means for you is Wednesday night we do not have service because what I have, what I have found, um, or I, I not, not necessarily found because I'm not the one that prepares the food for Thursday, Amen. But, but, but I see my wife and my mother-in-law and the work that they put into stuff. And so I figure Wednesday's a good day to prep. Amen? So what we do is we participate in the Tuesday night service. We have a good time in the Lord. And then Wednesday we have no church. So what that, is for, what that means to you is that it's not an extra day in the week. It's just a different day in the week. Amen? So you give thanks to Jesus for that as well. Hallelujah. And so today we are going to look at this, um, these scriptures here and a few others in the book of Proverbs as we continue on in our Wisdom Cries Out series. The title of the message this morning is Count Your Blessings. Say, Count Your Blessings. And being that we're in this holiday season, holiday time should be a time that causes us to reflect on the goodness of God and on his mercy. Amen? It is a time where we should be able to be missional in our communities, among our neighbors and our coworkers. As I was sitting down and I was thinking about this season of the year, um, I said, what would it be like if churches, and when I say church, I'll say it like this, what would it be like if the church, each of us, decided that we were going to, let's say, adopt our street, Right? Just for this time, right, we're, we're going to adopt, adopt our street, adopt our block. For those of you that have departments in your job, you're going to adopt your apartment. And what you would do is you would just decide that you were going to go and you were going to bake some cookies, glory to God. See, I only got a couple of hallelujahs, but whatever. But anyway, the point is, you, you, okay, maybe, maybe you're like, well, I don't know how to bake. It's okay. Just get someone who knows how to bake, right? Because, you know, when you bake it, it doesn't cost as much as going to buy them, Amen. That's what my wife tells me anyway. 
I believe her, right? And so ultimately, what would happen if Christians just decided, and I use cookies as the example. Pastor um, Chad, he used it, he said, you know, if we went to our neighbors with cookies, well, it's just kind of weird just to come like in, you know, May and be like, hey, man, I got some cookies for you out of the blue. But Thanksgiving, right? Christmas time. You just say, hey, man, I just want to bless you. I just want to, you know, holiday season. And you just have an excuse to say an excuse. You have an excuse to go and bless your community. Imagine what would happen if the church did something like that. How, how much would we be able to just uh, impact people's lives just on a little thing, just something small like that? Not because we did something great. We gave them a little bit of cookies, hallelujah. We just said to them, you know, we're thinking about you. We said to them, we're good neighbors, amen? State Farm is out. I'm just joking. Anyway, so... I just had to throw that in there. But what, what would happen if we did that? Holiday time, holiday time. It should be that time of the year when we focus on the goodness of God and we focus on his mercy. It should be a time that we use every opportunity to be missional in our communities, among our neighbors, among our coworkers. But here's the problem. Too often it becomes a time where we lose focus on Jesus and sadly, rather than counting what we have been given, we become discouraged about all that we do not have. What we begin to do is instead of looking at Jesus with gratefulness and thankfulness for what we do have, we begin to look at all the things we don't have and we get depressed. The wisdom of God and, and the scriptures that we read this morning gives us a clear perspective on what we as the people of God should desire. And when we desire those things, what it will do is it will cause us to pursue those things. It will cause us to pursue the will of God for our lives, not our own will. And above all else, what it will do is it will produce produce in us a thanksgiving that is reflected in what? Our appreciation of our creator. Our thankfulness for God and his sovereignty. There's one thing that God has called us to do, and we've talked about this before, and it is that God has called us to live out of our identity in Jesus. Say that with me. God has called us to live out of our identity in Jesus. And what is that identity? That identity is Jesus. It's not just things that Jesus adds to us. It is him. It is who he is in his essence, in his fullness, as Savior, as Lord, as Deliverer. That is our identity. We don't find our identity in all these other things, but what happens is when we fully embrace what Jesus has done for us, it gives us the ability to truly count our blessings no matter our circumstances. It gives us the ability that no matter what is going on around us, we recognize Things may not look like I'm blessed, but I am because of what? Who I am. Who I am in Jesus. Who I am because of what Jesus has done. I begin to embrace this reality. I begin to embrace what Jesus did. I begin to become overwhelmed. This is the reason why we talk about the cross, like we sing that song, Jesus is the Lord, because we want to bring, bring our hearts back to a focus on what? Who Jesus is. We want to bring our hearts back to the focus on what really matters and is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It is that Jesus came into this earth and he shed his blood for you and for me. He died so that way we would not have to experience the eternal wrath of God because of our sin. When we become overwhelmed with that and our identity becomes locked in that, you know what happens? Gratefulness flows. Because no matter what, we understand what life really is about. As Christians, we can understand that. If you're not a Christian, you won't understand that. If you're not a Christian, you will not. And let me say this. Even if you are a Christian, you can still lose focus. Even as saved and sanctified as you are, sometimes you look at things and you see, you know, situations like a Christmas tree that may not be so full. 
And, you know, the Christmas tree ain't even out yet because it should, you know, I don't know when, when y'all put it up, but, you know, some people do it like the day after Thanksgiving before. I don't know. Anyway, whether or not the Christmas tree is full, you know it's in a bank account. Amen. Hallelujah. And so you know that Christmas tree may not be full, right, because of what's in there. And you know there ain't nothing else coming in, glory to God, unless Santa really does appear, glory to his name. Not Santa, Jesus. But anyway, so, so ultimately what happens is, right, think I'm glorifying Santa. I'm not. Ultimately, what happens is we can lose focus. Our children are inundated. You want me to tell you what, and, and look, I know Christmas is like next month, but you know one of the hardest things to do, you know, for, I, I, at least for me as a parent, is to really help my child understand what Christmas is really about. And, 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 and we know, the, and, 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 and it's not because she doesn't know the nativity story. Y'all, y'all ain't with me. It is difficult to get them to understand, listen, just because your friend has six gifts and they're waiting for number eight, right, doesn't mean that you need to be thinking like that. And sometimes we get sucked into that mindset. And so what happens is rather than us glorifying Jesus for all that he's given us, what do we do? We begin to become discouraged because I can't give my kids six gifts. I can only give them three. But today I want us to really look at the scriptures and really count our blessing. And so the question is this, how do we consistently count our blessing? Say this with me. We must maintain the right perspective regarding God's sovereignty. When we look at these scriptures here that, we, that, that we're reading in chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs, um, the writer in the beginning, it says this, look at verse 1 with me. It says, the words of Agar, the son of Jacob, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ucal. And so he gives these words, and the writer of this is this man by the name of Agar. Nobody knows who he is, but he is someone who was obviously inspired with the wisdom of God, and so he made it into the book, and, and into the book of Proverbs as as one who speaks into our lives. And this writer in the book of Proverbs, he makes it clear that his trust is in God's sovereignty. He makes it clear by two things. The first thing that he makes it clear that he trusts in God's sovereignty is because he prays. Say he prays. See, we won't pray if we don't trust God. We won't even seek him. We'll, we'll try to figure things out on our own. The fact that we pray shows what? Shows where our dependence is. It shows where our hope is. The fact that we get down and see God. So think about that for a moment. Just internalize that. How much time do you spend in prayer? Do you make sure prayer is a part of your daily life? Seriously. Now listen, I'm not going to get into the whole thing of when you should pray. Because for me, early morning time is when it's going to work best. For me, that, that to me is the time that sets the pace for the day. But for some of you, you're just, not, you're, you're just not morning folk. Early bird don't catch the worm. Early bird hits the snooze button. Again and again and again and again until the last moment and you jump up out the bed and you're like, Lord, help me today. That's, your, that, that's the extent of your prayer. Okay. Let's keep it real. But here is the thing. Do you spend time in prayer seeking God? Do you do that? Because if you don't, don't tell me you depend on him. Because if you are not separating time out, whether it's in the morning, midday, nighttime, if you are not separating time to seek his face and seek his counsel, you can't tell me you depend on him. It's like someone saying they depend on me and they never talk to me. 
They depend on me. They never get counsel from me. They never seek me. That just doesn't happen. So the first way he shows that he has, that he depends on the sovereignty of God and he understands it is the fact that he prays. But the other way that he shows it is not just that he prays, but it is what he prays. Look at what he prays with me. He says, two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. We're going to deal with that in a moment. The second thing he says here, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Now look at this prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now most of us, we pray the first part of the prayer. Give me neither poverty, God. We wouldn't even say neither. Lord, let me not be broke. Let me not be poor. Let me, let, let, let me not be in that situation. Let me not be. We'll pray that part. Most of us will not pray, but Lord, don't make me rich either. Come on now. Lord, bless me. Bless me so I can be a blessing. Lord, open up the windows of heaven over my life. Give me increase, glory to God. Hold on a second. But how did he pray? He prayed. He said, <laughs> he said, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. He prays this prayer totally dependent upon the sovereignty of God. We need to be constantly reminded of the sovereignty of God because when we forget who holds all in his hands, we begin to complain about what we don't have instead of counting what we do have. Or equally sinful is we begin to find our identity in the things we have rather than in Jesus. When we lose sight of the sovereignty of God, when we lose sight of what God has has, 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 has declared himself to be. We lose sight of that. We begin to complain against him. And that's all we're doing is complaining against him. When we are not recognizing, and listen to me, there are some people that have some bad situations. There are some people that have some really hard things that are going on in their life. And I know those well. But here's the thing. Is God not still sovereign? Is he not still good? This, the, the writer of this, uh, of this proverb communicates that to us. And what happens is, is a constant recognition of God's sovereignty will keep us humble and grateful. Because what does it mean we're recognizing his sovereignty? He says here, he's like, look, he, he, he says it. He said, don't give me riches and don't give me poverty. He says that. He says, I'm trusting you. The next verse, we'll talk about this in a moment as well. The next part of that verse, it says clearly, it says, feed me with the food allotted me. In another translation, it says, give me my portion. And so what he is saying is that in God's sovereignty, that means he is in control of all things, that there is nothing, as, as Sister Marisol was praying, that everything is in the hands of the potter. Hallelujah. That no matter what is going on, God is not surprised. He is not shocked. Many times he is allowing what is going on because he wants our attention. Many times he allows those things to occur in our lives, in our nation, wherever, because he wants to wake us up out of the slumber that we find ourselves in. Because we become so comfortable or we become so lax that we are not seeking him as we are. We become so whatever, compartmentalized that we forget how desperately we need him. Many times, he, it's not that he's, he, he's up there like he doesn't care. He cares greatly. 
That is the reason why he allows certain things in our lives. Because he wants our attention. More than giving us things, he wants to give us real life. When we are constantly reminded and we recognize the sovereignty of God, we remain humble and grateful. And at the same time, we become greaterly filled with faith in Jesus. We become, we, we become more filled with faith, with faith in who he is. Repeat the second thing with me. We must guard against the seeds of deception. We look at that, when, when we look at this word falsehood that we find here, he says this in verse 8. He says, remove falsehood and lies far from me. That word in other translation is translated deception. And so when we're looking at deception here or falsehood, falsehood is also translated vanity. Say vanity. Y'all know what vanity is, right? All right, so I won't, I won't go into a great definition and, and expound on that. But what he's saying is, remove that from me. Remove that from me. Remove vanity far from me. Here's the thing. More than worrying about telling lies, what this prayer is really saying is to guard our hearts from believing lies. When we talk about vanity, it's th that's believing lies. Vanity is believing that things are important, things that are not important are really what, what is important. It's about making great emphasis on superficial stuff. Are you here? That's what it means. And he's saying, remove vanity from me. Remove lies from me. Don't let me believe the lies. Too many believers today, especially in America, are deceived by an entitlement mentality that is crippling when God answers no and when trials come into our lives. We feel like we deserve everything. I'm talking about Christians, all right? Don't, don't get crazy with me. Don't go somewhere that we're not going. Hear me. We get this mentality. Where do we get this from? Well, we get it from the prosperity gospel. That's, that, that, that's, that, that, that's where it comes from in a great way in the United States of America. I don't, I don't know how this scripture fits within that context, but anyway. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Here's the thing. Let, 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 me, let, let me tell you one of my greatest pet peeves on planet Earth. I, I can't stand it when people say, when God didn't answer a prayer, what prayer did God not answer? You mean the prayers that God said no to? Church, no is an answer. I'll give you an example. My daughter, she, she's asking us, right? She, she, you know, she, she's... she's um, She's been trying to motivate me or to encourage me to purchase her phone. And in our conversations, I had to explain to her, I said, baby, there's three answers. There is yes. There is no. I'm not saying any of those. I'm saying wait. Right? That, that's another answer. Hear me. Listen, if you're the one that, I, I, I'm just saying this in general. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to anybody in, in particular because I don't have anybody in my head at this moment. But if you say that, you know, the prayers that God didn't answer, hold on a second. <laughs> Did he just answer no? Did he say wait? 
You say, be still and see what I'm doing? Those are answers. And the fact of the matter is, when we trust God and we understand that he is sovereign, that he is in control, and we have allowed, see, because what happens is we let vanity enter our hearts. We let these lies grip our hearts that shouldn't grip our hearts there. And so what we begin to believe, I want you to see this here, because he goes on to explain why. The writer here goes on to explain why it is that he asked for neither poverty nor riches. In verse 9, he says, lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what we see here is that, first of all, this prayer that he's praying, it is analogous with Jesus' prayer in the New Testament, where he, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, he says to them to ask for what? He says, to give us this day our daily bread. It's the same, it's the same exact prayer. They're saying, look, God, Jesus is telling his disciples, ask the Father for what pertains to you. Ask the Father for what he has allotted for you. Same thing here. He is, he, is, he is praying the same exact prayer. But he goes on and he says this. He, t he points out the reasons why. Now let me say this before I touch on these two points. The one thing that I want you to understand, and this is very important, is that being rich nor being poor, neither one of them has a direct correlation to evil. Did you hear me? I, I, want, I, want, I want you to understand what I mean by that. A lot of times when you hear the wrong gospel message being preached, if you are broke and you don't have money and you're not driving that car, you don't live in that house, then there's some kind of sin problem in your life. That is what I mean by that. It's not true. And, 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 and on the flip side, here's the other, because I want you to get this. There is a prosperity gospel, but there is also a poverty gospel. And can I tell you something? The, 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 the poverty gospel came before the prosperity gospel. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the prosperity gospel, in part, is simply a response to the poverty gospel. Because what happened was, way before this word of faith movement, all this stuff started happening, these, these preachers would preach, they believed, look, you didn't need to have anything. You, you didn't need to have stuff. You, you didn't need to have any, 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 any homes. There, there, um, Mark Driscoll was preaching a series on wives and all this different kind of stuff. There was one, I wish I could tell you who the preacher was, but he's one of the preachers that many preachers quote, read his books, all this kind of stuff. And this dude used to make his wife walk to church in the snow. Y'all ain't hearing me. He, this is a preacher, big church, and his wife, his ch they had to get to church walking because having a vehicle, that, that wasn't necessary. In the snow, brother, it is necessary. It, it was so bad that, this, that this, this, this wife got into a vehicle of the youth pastor. The youth pastor of the church, right? This is crazy. The pastor not driving. Youth pastor coming into church, like, I don't know what's wrong with this guy, but anyway, as he's driving to church, sees the pastor's wife, picks her up. You know what she says to the, to, 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 to the youth pastor? I hope you don't ever become like my husband. Poverty gospel. So what the poverty gospel said was, if you're rich, you're wicked. You're running after the wrong stuff. So the first thing I want you to know is that poverty nor riches, neither one of them has any direct correlation with being evil, but each of them has the ability to bring deception to your life. And that is what the writer is saying here. Look what he says. He says, lest I be fool and deny you. So according to these scriptures, there is potential deception in both riches. When you're rich, what is he saying here? I don't need God. 
I don't need you. I don't need. See, that, that, that's the issue with many people in our day. They're comfortable. They're doing okay. What do I need God for? I don't need God. The only people who go to church are those who have problems. I don't have any problems. I don't have any issues. I, I got a good job. Everything is going okay in my life. So what do they say? I don't need. What I want you to realize when we're looking at riches, don't just look at a bank account. Look at all of these other things that, 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 that correlate. Because when Jesus is saying, give us this day our daily bread, is he just talking about food or is he talking about all of provision? He's talking about everything in life. And so the same thing happens here. Riches, you give me riches, there's the potential. But you forget about God. You forget about the one who delivered you. You forget about the one who's provided for you. Many people do that. Many people come to Jesus because of what? Because they have a problem. They have a situation. Once the situation is fixed, guess what? They forget about Jesus. I say this all the time because it is so true. People are the most spiritual when they go through hardship. They don't miss prayer time. They're fasting. They're memorizing scripture. They're seeking Jesus hardcore because they want him to intervene in their situation. But then I've seen, and listen, I'm not talking out of the side of my neck. I mean, I've been in ministry for a few years now, and I've seen, I've walked with plenty of people and encouraged them, been so excited, be like, man, this person, I've never seen him seeking God like this. As soon as the trial is over, and when I say the trial is over, it can be that God fixed it or God didn't, but the situation is just done. Watch the same people fall off the boat. Why? You forget about him. The next part of it is the poverty part. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The first one in riches is that I don't need God. In poverty, here is the issue. I got to take care of myself because God can't do it. That's the other one. I got in, in, in this example here, he says, I'm going to go steal. I'm going to go and get something the wrong way, in an ungodly way, in an unjust way. This is what he's communicating. These are the things that allow, that, that these are the two evils that can be found in either one. But what does the writer say? The writer says, God, my life is in your hands. He says, I don't want you to give me riches because I want them. I don't want you to give me poverty either. I don't want you to give me anything. I want you to give me what is my portion. I want you to give me what you have desired for me. That's what I want. How many of y'all can say amen to that? That is what I want. Because here's the thing. What he's saying is, look, if you're going to give me riches, that's fine, but make sure my heart is right. If you're going to give me, if, if I'm going to go through poverty and you're going to allow me to go through that, make sure my heart is right. Help me to get through this. Grant me the grace to be able to walk through whatever I have to walk through. That's what, that, that's what this prayer is communicating. And so the greatest guard, because I said that we have to guard our hearts against these deception, against falsehood, the greatest guard to, against both of these mindsets of either a lack of a trust in God or a forgetting about God being the blesser of your life is that we trust in God's portion. That we trust in his portion. The third thing and the last thing that we'll deal with is we must learn. Say this with me. We must learn to count the things that count to God. We must learn to count the things that count to God. If I'm going to be a person that counts the blessings of the Lord in my life, then I need to learn to count what God counts. When we learn to recognize the things that God counts or the things that matter, we will pursue their development in our lives. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 16. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, and so we're just going to go through these scriptures um, relatively quick. I mean, when I say quick, I don't mean like we're going to run through them, but 
we'll walk um, br um, briefly through each of these scriptures. Proverbs 15 and verse 16. And you'll find these scriptures here, they, they, most of them start with better is. And so they're, they're communicating a correlation between a couple of things here. Proverbs 15, verse 16, when you got to say so. It says this. It says, better is a little. Say that with me. Better is a little. You don't have to say any more with me. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. So what really matters here? Is it not the fear of the Lord? That's what counts. It's not how much you have. Because people can have much and not fear God, have all kind of trouble, be looking at, at the wrath of God in their future. And the fact of the matter is that the Bible tells us it is better to have little with the fear of the Lord. So what should we be pursuing? We shouldn't be seeking little or much. We should be seeking the fear of the Lord. That is what we should be measuring in our lives. The second scripture I'd ask you to turn to, it's right there, and it's verse 17. It says, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Now, thinking about Thanksgiving. Think about, think about that glorious table that you're probably going to be sitting on, right? And there's going to be some all kind of food. You know, there's going to be turkey for, you know, and ham. And, and, and there's going to be, you know, all, all, I don't even know, you know, arroz con gandules. There's going to be all, there, there's going to be mashed potatoes and yams. And, and, and it's, it's just going to be amazing, right? <laughs> now, all that is going to be amazing. But factor in there having strife up in that house. Having somebody walk up in there with a stank attitude, mm -hmm. just, just, just treating everybody wrong. Would you rather be sitting down in the backyard somewhere eating like green beans all by yourself, right? Or with your family, just, just without this big major meal, with love? I mean, seriously. This is what the proverb is saying. We want to have all this stuff going on in our life, but what really matters is what? Loving relationships. Count your blessing. That's what we're talking about. Amen? See, some of us don't go to family reunions because of craziness like that. Uh-huh. We, we, I'm going to leave that right there. Got all that strife going on. Be like, yeah, I ain't going there. Them people are crazy. I'm going to stay over here with my dinner of herbs, and they can do whatever they want to do. Loving relationships are what matters. You can write another scripture down. You have to turn there, but it just goes along with loving relationships. 19 and verse 22. Turn, turn to chapter 16. You're right there already. Chapter 16 and verse 8. And it says this. It says, better is a little. Say, better is a little. With righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. So what matters again? Righteousness. Right, what, what, what is righteousness? Let me give you a quick definition. It is the state of doing what is required according to a standard. Let me say that again. Righteousness is the state of doing what is required according to a standard. So what really matters? It matters that I, that you, that we walk in righteousness. And that we thank God because of what? Because he gives us a heart to walk in his righteousness. That's what we count our blessing in. Turn to Proverbs chapter 17. You're already there in verse 1. It says this. It says, better is a dry morsel. A dry morsel. I'm, I'm having a picture right now. Y'all remember, for those of you that have seen Nacho Libre? 
Remember when he invites Encarnacion to come to his room? Remember that? Remember he comes up in there and he pushes that dry piece of bread up under the door, right? And then and, and they're eating that piece of bread. Like, so tell me about it. They can't even talk. Better is, <laughs> better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Again, what it, here's what matters. Say peace and quiet. Y'all are still on Encarnacion. Listen, what matters here? Peace and quiet. Say that with me. Peace and quiet. Look, be blessed that you don't have, I mean, and I'm not talking about our kids, okay? That's, that's not what this is talking about. Because, you know, kids are noisy, right? Glory to God. You know, they're, 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 sometimes you just need to be quiet. Can you give me a moment? I need to think. I can't think right now, right? I'm not talking about that. We're talking about noise because of strife. We're talking about arguing. We're talking about just bad situations. That's what this is talking about. You'd rather have dry morsels with peace. So thank God when you look around, you're like, man, I don't have all that mess going on in my house. Listen, I, I, I absolutely, and hear, hear what I'm going to say. Sometimes I feel bad because sometimes I use my family as, as examples in, in a bad light. Listen, I love, I adore my family. My, 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 most of my family, they don't know Jesus, okay? But when I get around them, when I talk to them, I love them to death, okay? The, the point of the matter is there are some times that I just can't get around them. I'm just saying, just sometimes there's too much strife going on. I just be like, all right, man, I'm out. But here's the thing. We thank God because I remember growing up, and it wasn't all that peace and quiet. There was real strife going on. There's issues. Anyway, I'm going to leave it right there. The point is we need to have a, a measure of what? I'm going to give you these, these things again. The fear of the Lord, loving relationships, righteousness, peace and quiet. Turn to chapter 19 and verse 1. We'll look at another thing that we can measure our blessing in, and we can thank God for his blessing in our lives. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 1. And it says this. It says, better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And so what matters here? Integrity. Integrity. Walking in uprightness. That is what matters. Do we believe the scriptures? Jesus says it in, in, in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto us. What is Jesus telling us? He's not telling us that every single thing that we want. He is saying every single thing that we need will be added unto us. That's what he's saying. That's what he is communicating to us. And so here, walking in integrity, seeking the kingdom of God, seeking his will in our lives. Another scripture that, would, that will correlate with this, you can write it down, is Proverbs 28 and verse 6. That will go with Proverbs 19 and verse 1. Turn over to, to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. Proverbs 20 and verse 6, it says this. It says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Hold your place there. Well, you don't have to hold your, hold your place there. Just turn to chapter 27. We're going to look at this scripture together. <clears throat> 27 and verse 18. And this gives a picture of what faithfulness is. That's what matters, faithfulness. 27, 18, it says, Whoever keeps the fig tree will eat its fruit, so he who waits on his master will be honored. So it gives this picture here of being faithful. 
when, you, when you're waiting on this fig tree, you're taking care of it, right? You're pruning it. You're watering it. You're making sure that it's good. And the same thing just being faithful in the task. In this particular one, it's talking about a servant and his master. It can be me and my employer, you and your employer. It can be whoever, whatever the situation is, you being faithful. It can be you being faithful for students in school. It can be you being faithful in your home with your parents. You being fa Faithfulness is what matters. So we have the fear of the Lord, we have loving relationship, we have righteousness, we have peace, we have integrity, faithfulness. Those are the things we measure. And this one happens to be my favorite one of all of them. Turn back to Proverbs 25 and verse 27. Twenty-five and verse twenty-seven. It says this. It says, It is not good to eat much honey. So to seek one's own glory is not glory. Look at 27 and verse 2. This really paints a good, I, I think this one paints a picture. Let another man praise you, not your own lips. A stranger, not your own lips. Look at verse 21 in chapter 27. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. And a man is valued by what others say of him. Now, the word value there would be better translated is tested by what others say about him. So the last thing that we would say that is measurable, that is something that we should count as a blessing, is this, the praise of others. What do others say about you? I know, I know a lot of times we think we're all that. Okay, maybe I just think I'm all that. But anyway. And sometimes, you know, you think you're all that, you know, and, and until you have a humbling moment, hallelujah, right? I have a lot of those, so I won't share any of it with, with you right now. I just know that I get humbled often. But regardless, here, here, here is the reality. The reality is this scripture says you shouldn't praise yourself. You need to let someone else praise you. And then he goes on to use it, and, and, and I love verse, um, chapter 27 and verse 21 because he says the refining, the, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, right? And he said, and a man is valued by what others say of him. And so what happens is the refining pot is for silver. They use this to purify the silver. And, and, and then the furnace is for gold. They use this to purify the gold. It's the same thing when it talks about what other people are saying about you. Those things are what test your character. Those things, are, are, are you allowing, now here's the thing, you shouldn't be seeking the praise of other people, amen? That's not what the scripture is saying. It's not saying you need to be, you know, going up and, and waiting for people to praise you. That's not what it's talking about. He's saying, let praise come out of the mouth of others regarding you. Don't just praise yourself. Don't, don't just sit here and applaud yourself all the time about how great you are. Hello, that's what it's saying. He's saying, don't do that. He's saying, let another person communicate. And then... When these other people communicate about you and they say whatever, here's the thing you got to get, Christian folk. It is this. On one side of the token, Jesus promises this. Jesus promises. He says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. You know what the problem with us as Christians sometimes is? We're afraid to be hated. We're afraid to be the unpopular one. We're afraid to be the one. We're, we're okay with offending each other. We're, can I get a witness? We're okay with offending each other. We're okay with disrespecting each other. But we're not okay with offending someone else who's not a believer. 
Listen, Jesus said, I want to make this, the world hated him. That's what he said. I'm, 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 I'm only repeating what Jesus said. He's saying though they, they, they were people that he, he was crucified because of what? Because he was hated because he was righteous and perfect, part of the plan of God, so we could be saved. Get this with me, Christians. This is part of being a Christian. Now, does it mean that we got to go out of our way to make ourselves hated? You don't have to go out of your way. You just need to be a Christian. You just need to live for Jesus. That's it. You just need to live righteously. They're going to hate you. You just need to, you, you, listen, you don't need, let me say this. You don't need to be going out there and correcting everyone for every, you're not, you're not the Holy Ghost. That is not, that is not what I'm saying. Because they're going to hate you for the wrong reason on that. But what I'm saying is this, is that they will, they will hate you. But you know what? This is what they will do. They will praise you because you're a person of integrity. Listen, they may not agree with you, but they are going to be able to say, yeah, well, that's a person who walks in righteousness. Ask anybody. I mean, I, I, I use Pastor Robert as an example. I guarantee you, he talks about it all the time. Him and I have conversations. Plenty of people can't stand him at his job. You think the guy that he was telling, I ain't opening that fence for you, you think that guy loves him? No. The point of the matter is, there are plenty of people that don't like him. But you know what? I bet you they all will talk right about him. And they'll say that he's a man of integrity. They'll say that he's, he, he lives the life that he preaches. See, that is the thing. It's not they're going to like everything, they're going to agree with everything. It's that you live it out. And that's when it begins to refine you. Because, listen, if everybody is just saying good stuff about you all the time, I don't know if you're living righteously. If everybody's just, because, listen, they, had, they said bad stuff about Jesus. Yeah, I ain't saying nothing. Listen, the fear of the Lord, loving relationships, righteousness, peace and quiet, integrity, faithfulness, the praise of others. Those are things that the book of Proverbs tells us that we should be counting, that we should be measuring, and we can grow in all of these things as we allow the Spirit of God to work in us. Once we begin to value what God values, we will always be found counting our blessings. And so I have this question, and then we're going to watch this video. And the question is this, have you lost sight of how blessed you are, or have you lost focus on the blessing? 